we're here today. It is the Lord's day. Psalm 118 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day of our Lord's resurrection. This is the day that his followers begin to meet for special times of devotion and worship. And so here we are together once again on the Lord's day, and we're thankful, aren't we? Let's talk about death. Let's talk about death. According to Breitbart News, Breitbart News, 2021, 2021, Breitbart News says 8.2 million died from cancer, about 5 million died from smoking, 3.5 million from virus, 1.7 million from HIV, AIDS, 1.3 million in 2021 died from traffic fatalities. This is worldwide, worldwide. And worldwide, about a million died for, by taking their own life. And worldwide, worldwide, 2021, 42.6 million babies died from abortion. This past week was the anniversary of the darkest day in American history, January 21st, 22nd, 1973, when the Supreme Court made legal the killing of the unborn in this nation, the darkest day. 42.6 million died in their mother's womb from their mother's womb worldwide, 2021. That is equal to an unborn baby being murdered every 22, 23 seconds. That is about 43% of all women by the age of 45 having at least one abortion. If you go to Washington, D.C., you have several, several memorial monuments there. There's a memorial wall there for those who died in the Vietnam War. It's a big, black, shiny wall. It has 58,022 names on it. 58,022 names. The wall stretches to be about 492, 492 feet long really nice tribute. But if you were to try to construct a wall that involved all those who have died in the mother's womb just since 1973, that wall would be over 60 miles long. And so no wonder the phrase, an old phrase now, it's an old phrase. You know, the old phrase is, a mother's womb has become the baby's tomb. The most dangerous place is not the inner cities, the most dangerous place today, which ought to be the safest, safest place of all, but the most dangerous place today is still the mother's womb. And I can't go all the way. You know, when we begin to pay tribute to our own nation, there are reasons to pay tribute to our own nation. We have enjoyed the benefits of freedom we are blessed, and I don't know why, 
the Lord has blessed our nation in such a way, but we are blessed in this nation. And we have good-hearted people in this world. We have good-hearted people in this nation. But we are not a good nation when you get right down to it. Even if it was just this, if if it was just abortion, that's enough to say that we are not a good nation. Not a good nation. If abortion stopped today, stopped right now in its tracks, it would still be the darkest spot on a nation's image and heritage that could possibly be thought of. And so this morning we will speak of defending life, defending life. The Bible instructs us such in places, such places like Philippians 1.16, that we are to be set. We are to use our opportunities. We are to be set for the defense of the gospel. That's how Paul thought about it. That's how we are. Paul said, God has put me in this spot, and he was in prison at the time. But his belief was, his teaching is, God has put me in this spot to defend the gospel. A part of the gospel is, of course, God creating life, and so this morning defending life. We'll notice three areas for the bulk of our lesson. First of all, history speaks. Secondly, God speaks. Thirdly, Satan speaks. And then we must speak. So first, this morning, let's think about how that history speaks. History speaks. History speaks about a very violent beginning. From the very earliest of times, there have been wars and rumors of wars. There have been murders. There have been assaults. There have been rape and rape victims. There have been robberies, vandalism. From the very beginning of time, it has been a violent world. Little did Eve know that when she was bowing down to the lies of the serpent, that her firstborn would be a murderer and that her secondborn would be victim of a murder. But all this is good with Satan because Jesus points out in John 8 and 44 that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. This is all going according to his Plan. So history speaks of a very violent beginning. A very violent beginning. <coughs> history also speaks of child sacrifice. History also speaks of child sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, there was idolatry. And of course, again and again, God warned his people not to get involved, but they did. One particular popular practice in worship was the worship of the idol Molech. Molech. Molech was an idol that was metal, big old idol shaped in the form of a calf. And inside that big calf was fire that just continued to burn. And parents were encouraged to bring their children and put them inside Molech 
as a sacrifice uh, to that God, the God of Molech. Now, if you look in your Bible, Leviticus 20, verses 1 and 2, you see that God says, whoever brings your child, whoever brings their children, whether you be part of Israel or whether you just be a sojourner who has begun to encamp with Israel, if you bring your children to Molech, then those same parents will be stoned, should be stoned. Now, if you look in your Bible to 2 Kings 23, you'll notice that good King Josiah tried to make some reforms, and he was successful in some ways of ridding the land of some of these practices. If you look at 2 Kings 23, verse 10, it says, Josiah defiled Tophet, which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or daughter as an offering to Molech. To Molech. But soon after Josiah passed away, the practice began again, so that Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, and verse 31 he begins to warn and tell the people that they will be punished for this sort of thing, that this punishment was just around the corner. But if you'll notice with me in Jeremiah 7, 30 and 31, for the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they have built the high places, notice this, Jeremiah 7, 31, they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it ever come into my mind. And so think about this with me for just a minute. They bring their children as an offering to this idol of called Molech. Now, a couple commentators say that to worship Molech, you had to pass through several different chapels <coughs> or, or levels of service. In order to come into these different chapels, you had to bring an offering. So you could go into the first chapel if you brought an offering of, say, meal or flour. You could go into the second chapel if you brought an offering, say, of turtle doves or pigeons. You could go further. You could go into the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chapel if you brought uh, more substantial offerings like a lamb or an ox or a ram and so forth. But to get into the seventh chapel and to be guaranteed of blessings from the idol of Molech, you had to bring your child. And that's what some did. They would bring their children into that seventh chapel and they would hand it over to the priest of Molech and then the child would be placed inside of this burning calf. Okay. Now notice the words that are used by both uh, Jeremiah and also in 2 Kings 23. The valley of the son of Hinnom and also the word Topheth. Hinnom, the word means to wail, to wail, to cry out, to cry out. Okay. Topheth means the sound of drums, noise that comes from drums. 
Okay, so you get the picture here. As the parents would bring their child to the sacrifice, the priest of Molech would make sure that they had lots of drummers around. So to be able to, to drum out, to, to sound out, to put sound over the welling, of course, of the child that is placed into the idol. Because the priest of Molech did not want the parents to hear the wailing and the screaming because they would begin to take pity and change their minds. And so they had these drums, Topheth, they had these drums going so they could uh, drown out the sound of the wailing. We have um, abortion today. You say, that sounds inhumane, that sounds that sounds beyond comprehension. It's really not because the same thing has been happening and is happening even here in our day, only we don't use drums to drown it out. We use different things. We use words to drown out the cries. We use words. We don't call it killing and murder. Our society doesn't. We call it abortion. We call it extracting uh, tissue. And so we use words to drown it out. We also use the white coats, the white coats, because surely if there are just a few scientists, a few doctors, a few nurses who are willing to be doing this, surely this cannot be wrong. Nobody in a white coat is going to have any false information for you, right? You, you want to live in that world? Okay, go right ahead. That's what we use today as a society to drown it out. We use words. We use white coats. We also use warped politicians. Warped politicians. And if this was our purpose today, we could go off into a very deep place with our politicians currently in office who promote and are passionate about abortion. So first of all, history speaks. History speaks. Secondly, let's let God speak. Let's let God speak. God speaks about the taking of life, and of course he condemns it. God speaks about the taking of life, and he condemns it. If you go back to Genesis 4, verses 8, 9, and 10, you remember God coming to Cain after he killed his brother Abel, and he says, what have you done? Where is your brother? And we can't believe how Cain responds. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Pathetic response that was. God said this, though. Genesis 4, verse 10. God said, The voice of your brother's blood cries up to me from the ground. And that has been the case with every baby that has been murdered. That's the case with every murder that takes place on this earth. The, the, the blood of a victim has a voice. The voice of your brother's blood comes up and cries to me. The Lord is very much aware of every murder that takes place. Oftentimes the scripture uses the phrase shedding of blood. Proverbs 6 and verse 17 among the seven things that God hates, hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 1, 15 and 16. Don't go into the same path of those who make haste 
to shed blood. So God speaks about the taking of, of life. Jesus himself says in Matthew 19, verse 18, You shall do no murder. You shall not murder. So God speaks about the taking of life. God also speaks about the sacredness of life. And this is why one does not take life. This is why it's wrong to take life. Because life is sacred. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says each person is made in the image of God. And so when Noah and his family came off the ark, the instruction from God was, Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds blood, by man man shall his blood be shed, because God made everyone in his image. To be made in the image of God is sacred. To be made in God's image is precious. To be made in God's image is holy. To be made in God's image means that life must be protected. And so God speaks about the sacredness of life. And also God speaks about the beginning of life. God speaks very clearly about the beginning of life. For example, Psalm 51, verse 5. Psalm 51 is about when David confesses his sin and he feels overwhelmed. Have you ever felt that way? When you have sin, you know you have sin, you're frustrated with yourself, and you confess it to God, and you can't believe, and you just, you're overwhelmed by it. And David makes a huge statement there in Psalm 51, verse 5. He says, In sin did my mother conceive me. David felt like that he had just been a sinner all his life. In sin did my mother conceive me. But notice the connection between conception and personhood. Notice the connection between conception and personhood. When a baby is conceived, he or she is a me. From inspiration, David says, when I was conceived, I was a me. I was not a tissue. I was not a blob. I wasn't just a bunch of vessels and organs thrown together. I was a me. When I was conceived, I was a me. Same thing is found in Luke chapter 136. You remember the angel explained to Mary that she would be having a child. She says, how can this be? I'm just a virgin. The angel said to her, Luke 1, 35, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. That's how it's going to happen. And then the angel added this. said to Mary, your own relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, she has conceived a son And she's now six months into her pregnancy. She has what? She has, Luke 1.36, she has conceived a son. See there? What is that baby at conception? It's a me. It's a son or a daughter. It's it's a person. It's It's a baby. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, God tells Jeremiah...
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I concentrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Appreciate being reading earlier from Psalm 139. If you glance back there, notice in particular, verse 13, the Lord formed my inward parts. He knitted me together in my mother's womb. But verse 16 especially, Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written Every one of them, that is, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, right there, Lord, when I was so little in my mother's womb, I was an embryo, I was little. Okay. You saw me there. Okay. And you already were forming for me days that hadn't yet come yet, but these were formed for me. See, I'm a me there. But way back when I was an unformed substance in my mother's belly, I was a me. And the Lord already had days waiting on me. And the Lord has days waiting on anyone whose pregnancy does not get disturbed or violently removed. James 2.26 talks about life. James 2.26 says that the body without the spirit is dead. That's when a person dies. God places within us our soul or spirit, and together with our bodies, we are alive. When that soul or spirit is taken away, then we are dead. And so way back when we are an unformed substance, we're still a substance. That's still a tiny body. And so way back there in our, in our mother's wounds, when we are just a tiny, tiny body, it is then when God fills that body with his with spirit. And that tiny body receives a soul. Because why? Because it's alive. You see. If a body is alive, then the spirit is in that body, James 2.26. And that which is in the womb is alive because if it wasn't, there would never have been an issue, right? If that which is in the womb, what is it? It's alive. Okay. Well, what is that life in the womb? Well, it can only be, it can only be plant or, or animal or human. And to ask that question is to answer it. So we see that the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks about the beginning of life. Way back there in that unformed substance time, the baby's already got 150 cells. The baby already has independent movement. The baby already can respond to things outside of it. The baby is already beginning to break down particles and receive energy from that breaking down process. You see, it doesn't matter, when you think about the mother's womb, it doesn't matter, you know, 
the development stage, it doesn't matter the location of the baby at the time, it doesn't matter the development, it doesn't even really matter about how the, how the pregnancy came to be about. The fact is, God speaks about the beginning of life. Then thirdly, the devil speaks. The devil speaks. We know how the devil speaks in regard to abortion because there have been many, not enough, of course, but there have been many who have left those abortion clinics. They have left Planned Parenthood, and they've been talking about how it is they got sucked in to this evil practice. So you can read about this yourself, but it's helpful Understand, once again, we're not surprised. The devil is all about deception. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, He blinds the minds of the unbelieving. He's all about blinding. He's all about deception. So let me make this, these remarks. First of all, the devil comes after our young people. The devil comes after our young people. When you hear these ladies speak who have been formerly employed by Planned Parenthood, they all say that they were recruited on the college campus. One particular lady I'm thinking of right now, she was at Texas A&M University back in 2007, 2008, and she said Planned Parenthood was all over that campus recruiting young women to come to work for them. The devil comes after our young people. And you go to a college campus, it's pretty easy to find young women who are somewhat scared. They're, they're away from home. They're detached. Uh, they're weak in faith. They're not sure of what they're even doing there. And they're a perfect prey for somebody like Satan and his angels. So the devil comes after our young people. The devil, secondly, the devil comes on as a benefactor. He comes on as a helper, you see. These young ladies who, who were taken in by Planned Parenthood and others, they say, they come at you and they say, we're in the business of helping young ladies. Young ladies who, who need some direction in their life, young ladies who, who do not have health care, young ladies who, who are somewhat in trouble. We're, we're here for those young ladies who are out there, and we would like your help. Wouldn't you like to help these young ladies? And so they recruit them uh, in that fashion. We're not surprised by this. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. But that's how this works. Come and help us help other people. That's how Planned Parenthood does it. And thirdly, the devil entices with money. With money. These abortion clinics are making well over $500 million a year just in our nation. That doesn't include the world. So there's plenty of money to give out. There's plenty of ways to entice young ladies. The doctors themselves, who are mainly the doctors who do these, these practices, they're doing these abortions on the side in addition to their regular practice. But this is giving them something like $400,000, $500,000 extra thousand dollars a year 
to come by and do these, do these abortions. So the devil entices uh, with money. One lady who left Planned Parenthood, she began to create doubt in her mind about what she was doing because she was told early on that we're here to reduce abortions, the number of abortions, to reduce them. But then she began to understand that actually at the clinic that she was working, there were quotas and there were goals of increasing abortions each month. And she began to see that, and she began to see that practice, and that began to make her slowly draw back and have doubts about what she was doing. And so the devil entices with money. Fourthly, the devil uses religious people. 70% of all young ladies who have abortions grow up in families going to church on a regular basis. Let that sink in. 70% of young ladies who actually get abortions grow up in, an, in a family that actually has regular church attendance. Abby Johnson, who was one of the leading voices who, who left Planned Parenthood, she said when she was working for Planned Parenthood, she was also going to church every week at an Episcopal, Episcopal church. And the people there actually not only, well, they encouraged abortions. The priest of that Episcopal church sent young ladies to the abortion clinics to have abortions. The devil uses religious people. And many of these young ladies will report later that they came wandering into the abortion clinic because they had never really heard their church say anything against abortion. So they didn't know whether it was right or wrong, and so they were easy prey for Satan. The devil uses religious people. <coughs> Fifthly, the devil lies about the suffering of the baby inside the mother's womb. He lies about that. There is suffering. And this particular lady, Abby Johnson, that I have listened to a couple times, she says the turning point for her was she was not a nurse, she was not a medical person, but she made lots of money working for Planned Parenthood. She ran the clinic. She was, she was the financial person. She was the organizer. Okay. She rarely went into the back where the abortions were formed. She was always the person out front. Okay. And... She said the turning point was that one day they were shorthanded. A doctor came in, and he said, I need you to come back here. Help me just a few minutes. So she went back there, and this particular doctor actually used an ultrasound. And so this was at um, the abortion was taking place. The baby was 13 weeks old. And she said she watched on the ultrasound as the instruments come into the womb that the baby's arms and legs began to try to get away from the tools. She said they had been told again and again and again and again that a baby cannot feel pain until 28 weeks at least, or 29 weeks. She said she saw it with her own eyes at 13 weeks. She says that the first question out of a young lady's mouth that comes in to have an abortion, the first and most prominent question is, 
Will my baby feel pain? They are taught at Planned Parenthood to say no, not to at least 28, 29, 30 weeks. That is a lie because there is suffering inside that womb. And then sixth place, the devil, he destroys common sense. One of the best things that has come along for this fight against abortion is the ultrasound. And many of those who were former workers in these clinics are now out here promoting the use and the required use of ultrasounds in these clinics. That, that alone will be able to reduce the number of abortions, just to be able to see it with your own eyes. But over the years, the way this murder has taken place is because there has been no visual of it at all. There's been no, there's no, been no sight. It's, it's, it's just taken, and they never see the baby after the baby is taken, and it's out of sight, out of mind. But that's how the devil works. The devil works to destroy common sense. And isn't he doing that today? Isn't it amazing? I'm so thankful to be able to hold on to some common sense. Okay? When I lose my common sense, please take me somewhere and dip me, throw, throw me off the side of some cliff. Please do that. Will you promise to do that? Will you promise? If I lose my common sense, it will come out pretty fast. Two or three of you just come up here. I don't weigh all that much. Please take me somewhere and get rid of me. Then, finally, number seven with the devil. The devil destroys the heart. He destroys the heart. The phrase is found in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Romans 1, verse 31. You can find it. Now, the English Standard Version renders it heartless. People become heartless. But I favor the older translations on this. Older translations translate the word without natural affection. That's it. The devil works to destroy what God has put in us. He made us in his image, so it ought to be just instinctively in a mom to express natural affection for her children. But the devil destroys that. And he can render any of us, not just a mom, he can render any of us and put us in a position where we have no longer have that natural affection. So those who used to work for these abortion clinics, they're often asked, how is it that you're able to do that and, and actually go home and live? And they talk about a numbness, a numbness that comes over them and a double life. A numbness and a double life. That's what sin does to us. It creates a numbness. The Bible calls that a hard heart. But I think numbness is appropriate in a double life. There's a book, I, don't, I forget the author, it's called The Hand of God. But it recounts going back to World War II when the Nazis were destroying so many of the Jewish people, the Nazi soldiers would say, our work during the day was to kill. 
all ages of people, gas chambers, everything, they would kill all day long for eight hours, nine hours. Then they would go home to their families, have a meal, and pray to God. And that's what happened. That's what the book's about, is how does someone become involved in an abortion clinic? Well, the devil is able to set in a sense of numbness where you go and just do your thing because that's your thing, and then you go home to your family. Abby Johnson talks about how that when she was still working for Planned Parenthood, she was having children. And she said the employees at Planned Parenthood actually gave her a baby shower, a very nice baby shower, Can you, of all things. Celebrating life, really? You're celebrating life right there in that death chamber? Really, how does that happen? That's the devil at work. So Satan speaks. What about us? We must speak. We must speak. Jesus spoke up about it, Matthew 19, 18. You shall do no murder. We must speak up about it because our Lord would mandate that, that we do so. Proverbs 17, verse 15 says, Those who justify the wicked and condemn the righteous... Both are an abomination unto the Lord. Both are an abomination to the Lord. If we don't speak up, our silence speaks for us. Luke chapter 16, verse 15, our Lord had this to say, Luke 16, 15. He said to the Pharisees, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. No matter how a practice comes to be, if it is against the will of God, we must speak out. No matter how official sounding it is, the Lord's word trumps whatever that is. As Peter once said, Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. We ourselves must speak out. How does a person live with themselves after having been part of an abortion clinic? Well, this Miss Johnson, she said, the thing that aches her the most is that when she began to notice and know in her heart that what she was involved in was not right, it still took her a while to leave. And she did nothing. She said, I did nothing. I knew there was murder going on in the back, and I did nothing. I believe the Lord's people must be doing something. I'm not sure what all that something is. You know, we look at the folks who, on a continual basis, there are religious people who will set themselves outside of abortion clinics to protest, to pray, and to fast. Well, if you say, well, that's not something you ought to be doing, well, we need to do something. The Lord of life, have us to know a 
about those who take life. But this morning as we're together, we want to make sure that we're walking and following the Lord of life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that has been made. John 1, 1 through 3. Let us be following the Lord of life. And if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, even this morning, will you please come right now as we stand together, as we sing.